This special Cambridge Tech Week episode is sponsored exclusively by KO Data. Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. I'm Faye. And I'm James. This is our Cambridge Tech Week wrap-up episode. Where is it, are you going to wrap? I'm not going to wrap. Okay. No one wants to hear that. But it's going to be our wrap-up uh, episode covering the best bits that we saw, at least, of Cambridge Tech Week. And you you were lucky because you got to be there all day on Tuesday and I wasn't there at all. So I'm just going to sit back and let you talk all about what, what happened on Tuesday. How about that? Again, no one wants that either. But <laughs> but yeah, no, I did actually make uh, all three of the main days, uh, the two at the uh, Hickston Hall and then the Cambridge Union. So I saw a lot of it. Yeah, let's, let's dive straight in. First up was Monty Barlow, uh, CEO of Cambridge Consultants. He opened up the proceedings. Really interesting talk. He was, what was interesting, he was talking about the public opinion of tech. He felt like in the 80s, there was a real positive uh, vibe towards tech with things like Tomorrow's World on TV. Uh, that was a, a popular science and tech show on UK national TV for anyone not in the UK. Then he said into the 90s, it turned a little bit negative. You know, things like holes in the ozone layer, uh, carcinogenics in many products, GM crops in agriculture, cloning, climate change. You know, there's a real negative swing on the on the sentiment towards technology. And he said that coming back up to date, we now seem to be back in fashion. So, you know, he talks about the societal and planetary scale challenges that the, the world is facing. And he, the quote I, I wrote down was, we now have more than permission we have an obligation as as you know the world of tech to solve some of these challenges which i thought was an interesting and inspirational way to open the show yeah no it's great and again that's the kind of thing that Jamie Urquhart said on our our own episode which i'm sure we'll talk about in in a moment after monty spoke we did catch up with tim ensor who's the commercial director at cambridge consultants and we were asking him about the Cambridge Consultants' role in the cluster since they started in 1960, which has been pretty important. The Cambridge Consultants team have been one of the founding members, founding drivers of the whole tech ecosystem uh, 60 years ago when the team created the organisation here coming out of the university. And over that period, we've had uh, what I think has been a really quite profound impact on the ecosystem. Uh, the members of our team have come and left and founded new businesses um, and we've deliberately spun out many, many new tech organisations as part of the tech cluster. Um, and we have massive pride that three of those are numbered among the £1 billion valuation companies which uh, are part of the tech ecosystem today. He also talked about Cambridge's uniqueness in deep tech and the role that Cambridge Tech Week has to play in spreading the news about it to everywhere else. So Cambridge, I think, is, is relatively unique in tech clusters around the world because of its real grounding in fundamental science and deep tech. Um, and we've seen that ever since the beginning um, of, of the Cambridge Tech Cluster. But I think there are so many different areas that Cambridge uh, Science and Cambridge uh, Brilliance really leads the world and generates and draws in these global networks 
um, as part of these individual um, technology areas. And Cambridge Tech Week is a fantastic opportunity for those different ecosystems and networks to come together so that Cambridge and the technology which gets built here with our global partners really can uh, represent itself effectively on the global stage. So who else did you hear from? Yeah, then we um, then Mike Short had a fireside chat, and I, I used to work with Mike, actually, back in my O2 and Telefonica days. So it was great to see Mike in Cambridge again. He was asked, Telefonica has an incubator, a startup incubator called Wira, and he was discussing like 13 years of Wira and, you know, the impacts it had made. And Mike said a really interesting thing, which is a shame the interviewer actually didn't pick up and like delve into, because he said access to investors is now easier than it was 13 years ago, but access to customers is harder, which I thought was interesting. You know, I think at a kind of... Um, macro level that there has been far more money moving into venture and into the startup ecosystem than ever before but maybe as marketers it's harder to cut through all the noise and actually differentiate yourself and and gain market share so it's a shame that uh, i can't remember who was actually doing the interview shame he didn't pick up on that but i thought that was a really interesting uh, interesting quote you wonder whether some of that is, uh, you know, a fallout of the COVID years because, you know, the only way to access people for a long while has been through email and, you know, people are not necessarily going out to events and you've not got those same kind of opportunities to meet people. So, it, you know, that that might be be part of it. At lunchtime, there was also a presentation from Ting Zhang from Crayfish. So I wasn't there, but I did see the recording of it afterwards. And actually, they're doing something really interesting. So Crayfish is an organization that's helping businesses to succeed in China. We're not going to go into a whole discussion about doing business in China, but that's where you would use a company like Crayfish because they actually help you land safely. And they were talking, or Ting was talking specifically about some work that they're doing around intellectual property and commercialising IP within China. So I think that's something that we should probably cover in a future episode on the podcast as well. Yeah. Then I listened in to an innovation story with Shirin Degan. There's a couple of really insightful things I had picked up on. One was she was talking about exits and she was talking about treat an exit like a sales process. So you've got to start a lot earlier than you plan to exit. And you've got to be exit ready, you know, throughout the organization, even though you don't know if it's actually going to happen. So just getting that preparation and readiness in place. And then I think something that will chime with a lot of the guests that we have on our podcast, you know, we speak to many engineers and scientists and uh, spin out companies from the university. And uh, Shirin was an engineer as well. And she said, you know, as an engineer, you always think the best product will win. But actually, with her first business that ultimately failed, she was outmuscled by better marketing and sales. And she didn't build the necessary stakeholder engagement. So, you know, she lost out to a a probably technically inferior product but you know once you've lost that first mover advantage no one wants to do business with number two or number three yeah indeed jamie quested was at the event as well did you bump into him i did yeah, yeah. so he was we, we asked him to come on the podcast but he's busy um, I think the idea of spending more time with with us, who knows? But anyway, so he he gave me some feedback on the quantum session and said, interestingly, one of the main things to come out of that discussion was 
addressing the quantum skill shortage as the industry grows. So it was a great panel. Uh, you know, the lineup was really good. You know, I had Richard Claridge from PA Consulting, who was chairing the the panel. Carmen Palacio Barraquero from New Quantum, Howard Watson from BT Group, Maria Maracu of Riverlane, and Sigmund Lazinski from IBM. So, you know, all really super knowledgeable people involved in, in a lot of the quantum landscape in the UK. So, you know, they talked about the industry needing to scale, needing to upskill people. Sigmund referenced the audience to a tool called Quiskit. Q-I-S-K-I-T.org, which is an open source software development kit for working with quantum computers. So I know, James, that's something you'll be particularly interested in going looking at. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and the, the other thing that they discussed that Jamie said about was that the whole quantum industry, and we have this from other guests, you know, it's really a collaboration. It's not standalone companies it's actually all the companies need to come together so i think we're just going to hear more and more about quantum as time moves on have you read your book yet i know where it is okay <laughs> That's some homework i will there. i will read okay. it yeah all right the next panel that kind of grabbed my attention was the future of work so there was a lot of conversation on like the next generation of talent coming through some some interesting insights from you know various HR and people leaders, comments like you know younger people need reassurance and guidance when they're in the early stage of their career. So you know does remote working support and deliver that support they need to, to to develop the skills and to build their confidence? You know there's a question mark there. I think there's definitely a kind of swing back towards at least having some kind of hybrid working rather than you know fully uh, remote working. Um, there was a lot of talk about Gen Z. We've kind of seemed to have moved on from millennials being the butt of all jokes. <laughs> and now it's kind of moving to Gen Z. You know, there's a lot of commentary about Gen Z and their kind of work habits and their needs. Some of it was super constructive. There's a, a lot of things around the ethics of companies they work with. And, you know, their the need to be associated to something they believe in and, you know, are willing to stand by. Um, so that I think was interesting. There was some research referenced on the stage coming from Dell Capital, which said, I'm not sure if I believe this, but Gen Z will take a pay cut to work at climate focused companies. Um, that would be interesting to take a look at that research. But I think, you know, for me, I think the obvious gap in all that conversation, there was no representation from Gen Z on the panel. So there was a lot of people giving their opinion of what Gen Z wants, but actually no Gen Zers on the panel, you know, that had the actual authenticity of giving their opinion firsthand. It would have been super interesting to have got that, wouldn't it? And I, I think, you know, your earlier comment that there used to be a load of conversations that you wouldn't talk about at work. So whether it was the environment, sustainability, you know, I don't know, politics, anything like that. And those those are all open for conversation now. And that's, I think, for us. But actually, the younger generations, they wouldn't have any qualms about about that. So having go, going working for a company that has got purpose, I think, is really important. But I get your point. You know, it's that it, we can't just keep talking about other generations and not involving them in the conversation. And maybe that's something that was was missed a little bit. Maybe we should have had someone younger um, there. And I know actually it makes me think of a conversation I just had this week with a lady called Charlotte Horobin. 
And she was talking about at Make UK, they had, um, they were part of the Kickstart program, which was about getting young people into the business environment. And at a recent conference that they did, they had someone who'd gone on the Kickstart program, who had then done an apprenticeship and who was now fully employed at Rolls-Royce that person opened the conference. And that's the kind of thing that you need to start doing to engage in and making sure that we're educating people on what it's like to have a multi-generational workforce. Yeah, so all in all, I think day one was, you know, busy, lots of people there. It was at Hinkston Hall, uh, which is a little bit outside the city. I think there was a few comments from folks saying that it would have been great to have it in the city centre, which would facilitate, you know, popping in and out between meetings and work commitments. So you could see, you know, engagement with more of the conference. But that is absolutely not any kind of criticism towards uh, the organisation of the event. It's more calling out the fact that we just don't have the necessary conferencing facilities in the city centre to host an event of this scale, which is, I think, a real miss. Yeah. Do you think also it's maybe full day conferences? You know, people taking a day out of your schedule now is really tough. You know, do you think that that might have had something to play on it? Like, I know from my perspective... Uh, you know, we'll talk about Wednesday in a minute. I popped in. I kept popping into places. I didn't actually go and spend the entire day there. But that might just be me being the anomaly again. It's an important point. I th- you know, I think only a few people can afford to take out entire, well, let's be honest, nearly a week out of their work schedule to attend the conference. So when you when you then bolt on the evening activities as well, like the drinks and all those kinds of things. It, you're talking, you know, you know, 10 hour days, aren't you? That's just normal, isn't it? 10 hour days? I mean, there is, there is maybe something to be said for maybe uh, spreading the conference out over more days, but having half day sessions, they're more snackable. Yeah. I guess the last thing we had on the end of Tuesday was something to celebrate. So Infosense, who we've had on the podcast quite early days, actually, Um, They were in the Innovation Alley, which was made up of a whole load of um, startups, most of them that we we know of, um, and Infosense won. So, you know, and people were saying, actually, they were a real standout company, which was really great for them to hear. Um, Carl actually was there and recorded a segment with Yana for us. And uh, I blush a little, gives me a little name checking in her conversation, too. So the submission to Innovation Alley uh, came about. Um, actually, Faye pointed this out to me. So I got invited as a speaker at Cambridge Tech Week, which was lovely. And then she said, have you, have you signed up for Innovation Alley? I admit I didn't know it existed. So again, it was a really good last minute decision to sign up for it. And it was such a good, good opportunity. And it was also great to see all the other companies in the Innovation Alley. She then told us what it meant to win the inaugural prize, which again, I think is the type of feedback that we often get from, from these startups when, when they enter the competitions. felt really excited about winning the Innovation Alley Award, especially right now, we are in the middle of um, building our team. So it's really good to have that recognition because as a startup, it's really hard to stand out when it comes to recruiting tech talent and commercial talent, really hard to find. And also, you know, in my investment fundraising journey, I'm raising funding from investors at the moment. So again, it's really nice to have that external independent recognition of what we're building and what we're doing. So very, very important to us. 
And finally, we asked Yana about how the event had been for Infosense, because I think it's always we have our opinions, but it's also interesting to see what other people's opinions are too. We made quite a few interesting contacts, met interesting collaborators we might want to work with, investors, but also just people from different walks of life. And it's just interesting to see different areas of technology I'd heard about and, and learned about. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting mix of talks and opportunities to have conversations, a bit of networking. Yeah, really good balance. So we're now on Wednesday, getting halfway through the week. My first event on Wednesday was actually a fringe event. I think in principle, I actually did more fringe events than than anything else. So this event was with the Cambridgeshire Chamber of Commerce. And rather than talking about technology as a general subject, like with AI or quantum or semiconductors, this event was actually designed to talk about how businesses, how the people in the room should actually be using technology. So we had two speakers, David Harrison and Brintha Kumar from KPMG. They led the discussion. David opened the session by getting people to think about what technology meant to them. And he began with, a, a, you know, it was a list of different considerations, starting with core systems. Core systems, and that's linked to data. So the second is data, but without core systems and having the data quality, you'll struggle. The third is around cyber and having security of the business. Uh, the fourth is, we thought companies were not going to do technology and digital strategies a few years ago. They kind of died out. We've been inundated over the last two years doing technology and digital strategies, really laying out the future of sort of the next five years of investment that they'll make. And then the final thing is around skills and resourcing. So in certain areas of the country, there's hotbeds of technology skills, but there's a real shortage now. Uh, people aren't coming through the education system like we'd want them to. And interestingly, Brintha also picked up the topic of skills in her feedback of the session overall. The thing for me is around skills gap. It's about as a society when we're talking so much about technology, actually, how are we actually going to get the skills in order to keep up with this with this demand and this and this need? So yeah, I thought it was a it was a brilliant morning well spent for me. So yeah, thank you. It was a really interesting discussion, um, to be honest. There were loads of companies at all different stages. And and my takeaways were really that people don't, they don't, the companies there didn't even know what questions they should actually be asking with regards to technology. And so when it came to getting the right skills, they had literally no idea where to start. So there was kind of a big question whether outsourcing of a lot of technology in-house should be done, you know, the use of consultants and specialist businesses, so for things like cybersecurity. So I thought that was really interesting. And we had a really heated discussion about all of the hyperbole around AI that's out there at the moment. I think every panel had a conversation oh, about man, AI. Don't say the <laughs> don't say the one that's driving me mad at the moment, the answer to everything. Hold to chat GPT. So and actually, we had quite a good discussion with someone who'd come from Cambridge Judge Business School in the social impact area, talking about the impact of AI on the workforce and how, you know, we we kind of tried to add the conversation that the mangle went when the washing machine came, but people just did different jobs. You know, when the horse and carts was replaced by cars, you know, 
you do different things and it will be the same. But obviously that is a it's a huge concern. So yeah, it was just a it was a really interesting session. Um very different from a lot of the other sessions that were out there. So what was going on at Hingston Hall then? Yeah, I mean, in the main conference, I think my favourite talk of the whole week was Meredith Broussard, who I hadn't actually come across before, uh, but she is a data journalist, which I thought was interesting. She's got a new book coming out called More Than a Glitch. So I think what was really interesting is she's an ex-software engineer. So she's uh, obviously very technical and she's developed this branch of journalism, which really tries to shine a kind of spotlight on you know, this world of algorithms. So much of our world now is run by algorithms and people don't quite understand why it's making the decisions it's making. So I thought that was really, really interesting. And and she made this really interesting point that when something's automated and they do something that's exclusive, it's treated as a glitch and not a bug. And, you know, as a software engineer, she made, made the point that, you know, glitches are seen as fairly trivial things. You know, don't worry about it. It'll be fine next time. Whereas a bug is something you actually actively have to, you know, work on and fix and find the cause of it. So that was the kind of theme running through the whole panel conversation. She's really interested in kind of human rights and diversity and inclusion and how machines are inheriting human bias and then reproducing that in the results that they show. She gave an example of, um, in the US, the prioritization of kidney treatment uh, patients on waiting lists and this inherent kind of racism in the way that the uh, AI had been trained had bled into the waiting list algorithm and was giving priority to white patients over black patients. You know, so really interesting. And it wasn't fixed until 2021. So this whole, she called it algorithmic accountability journalism, which is really interesting, opening up black boxes and holding and holding their creators accountable. So I just loved it. I thought it was great. So I'm definitely going to be buying the book. I don't think it's just out just yet. It looks like it's coming soon. And she made this really simple but important point, stop expecting technology to replace our existing systems because they won't. It's really the human biases and attitudes are the things that form the way that these AIs and algorithms are created. So nothing's going to change. You're just scaling the problem. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds great. Maybe we should get Meredith on the podcast as well. Yeah. Great. So I work the floor when I popped over to Hingston Hall, I actually, like I said, I didn't go in any of the sessions at all, but you know me, I like a good natter. So I just went around having a chat with people. Um, So we knew most of the companies on Innovation Alley. We've talked about Infosense, Sanumi with their Hutton Bio, you know, some really good companies there and they all, all seeming to enjoy themselves and who they were meeting. When I caught up with Jamie Quested again, he was, you know, sharing some standout companies from his perspective that I thought were mer- worthwhile just talking about. And he said, you know, get all of these on the on the podcast as well. So there was a company called Synaptic, which is an AI driven web app for GCS Science. Um, that auto marks descriptive answers and can give instant teacher-like feedback. So that kind of sounds like a really interesting way of getting science more accessible and immediate to our our next generation. There's a company based at St. John's Innovation Centre called Phantom Tech, which has developed a suite of tools for building context-aware AR experiences. 
And then a company that I know, very early stage company, Ethicronics, main activity there is hardware-enabled cybersecurity, fighting against counterfeit and con- compromised electronics, which is obviously something that's a huge problem for a lot of us with what we buy and, and where it comes from. So some really interesting startup, you know, you've got a diverse set of people at the event, on the exhibition floor, attending as well as in the main conference. Yeah. I sat in on a panel uh, hosted by Jason Mellard, which was around tech bio. So yeah, I think this topic is increasingly coming up every time we have a conversation now about the two, like the life sciences side of Cambridge coming together with the tech side of Cambridge. So, you know, there was lots of conversation about how that's happening in areas like genomics, uh, drug discovery, you know, that just kind of leveraging data science and AI um, throughout the whole drug development life cycle. AstraZeneca, you know, are very much active in that space. And just, you know, again, I know there's a lot of this conversation, but, you know, using tech to replace manual tasks in labs um, so the scientists can do things that were never possible before, Um, you know, just focusing on the value-add tasks rather than the more menial tasks. And AWS were on the panel and they have just launched a... (laughs) I don't know if you'll be a fan of this. They've just launched a generative AI accelerator and they've had 1,200 applications to it. So it just shows you how many startups are out there uh, just working in this space. Oh, that's great. Um, what else? The last session, actually, I, I missed the the one I wanted to go to, which was the semiconductor session. But I did manage to get hold of Simon Thomas from Paragraph. He's very much like Scott White at Pragmatic. He's extremely tuned into the global semiconductor market and, you know, has a really good understanding of what we should be doing in the UK to support a homegrown semiconductor industry. And this is what he told me. Um, Actually, I think for us to understand what we can do as a semiconductor industry in the UK, we really have to have a look at the semiconductor supply chain. Where is it that the UK plugs into that supply chain? And really, the UK for many years, as most people know, is all about innovation. We have some of the best ideas in the world here. We're great inventors. So if we can take that position within the semiconductor world, then there's a really high-value proposition for us. We have some great inventions that come out of Cambridge University, We see a lot of semiconductor-related businesses right now coming from this region. What we need to do to be able to keep them here in the UK is make sure that that end of the ecosystem is supported, that we can allow those young companies to flourish and eventually scale to a point where they're delivering back value back into into the community. For us to do that successfully, the government really needs to lay out a clear strategy. This is not just about funding semiconductor businesses to make sure they remain in the UK, but giving us an idea of what what they actually want in terms of the semiconductor supply chain here. Whether that's the strategy of how we'll produce things or whether it's the strategy of how we will invent things. Clarity is absolute key for us to have a good business environment for companies like Paragraph to survive here in the UK. Of course, what you meant to say, Faye, is that the session you really wanted to go to in the afternoon was my session with Joe Parry from Cambridge Intelligence. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I meant to say. Do tell us about your, your session with Joe Parry. So, uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of interviewing Joe for one of the Innovator Journey series that was running throughout the conference. And I loved it. It was a really great conversation. I've, I've told Joe he's got to come on the podcast and do a full interview. But we tried to make it less about the product and the technology and more about, you know, the 
the person, you know, the leader. Um, so we covered a really, a lot of really interesting ground. Um, we talked a lot about the sacrifice, you know, that you have to make because sometimes I think it's fair to say that being an entrepreneur or a founder, it can be glamorized and it can be seen as, you know, aspirational. And of course it is, but don't mislead yourself that that doesn't mean it's a, a massive commitment in terms of time and effort. And, you know, Joe started when he had a couple of small kids and was just talking about work-life balance and all of those kinds of issues and what he missed and trying to make time. You know, it's really challenging. And, uh, yeah, we covered so many subjects, you know, um, launching the product and going to market. And um, Joe's very much like uh, John at OrcaScan, if you remember that conversation. I think I used the phrase in both conversations, they've got this superpower because they're both technical founders. So, you know, Joe could do exactly what John did and he could go see customers, get feedback and then immediately just implement their feedback in the product because he's a coder. You know, that gives such an advantage over, say, a business founder that's then got to go back and specify something to his engineering team or if he's offshored his engineering engineering has to put together you know a specification and get it priced and you know all of that just slows you down you know whereas people like joe and john can just build it themselves of course that doesn't scale long term as the company grows and grows and grows but it's such an advantage in the early days and then we both came back to the bradfield center didn't we and got ourselves ready with our u-shaped table which made a change from our square-shaped table we did we um, like to innovate yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, to do our live episode. And it, I loved it. I it worked, it was didn't it? absolutely brilliant. It did actually work, yeah. yeah, yeah it was, you, you insulted me, though. I, I, that got cut. I didn't. Well, no more than I normally do, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, actually, I think I insulted Chris Ellis. He took a lot of the brunt of of my my yeah. strange humour, didn't he? Chris, but he took it well. Yeah, Chris was a good sport. We, uh, we had a lot of... Thankfully, Carl was, uh, was editing the show because that was a marathon. There was uh, so much... I think great questions, great banter, lots of toing and froing between the audience and the panel. Obviously, we couldn't squeeze it all into the episode, which is a shame, but yeah. I think everyone agreed that came along. They had a great time. So I guess that's a good advert. If we ever do it again, make sure you come because there's a whole bunch of stuff that you never get to hear on the actual episode. Yeah. Did you just say if again? Well, or when? We're, we're okay. definitely doing it. Yeah, okay. And actually, being serious, the, the bit that we kind of did off the recording was a lot about Cambridge tech companies' responsibility to take everyone else with them. You know, so things about social inclusion and inequality. And we we kind of, there's a little bit in there about it, but actually I think it kind of needs to be a bit of a roundtable episode on its own because it's like super important that we do cover that. That's right. Yeah. I mean, for anyone that was in the room and was disappointed that didn't make the edit, I think some of that was time-based, but actually, as you say, what we've kind of had the conversation since is that actually is so important that we need to get dedicate an episode to it. So we'll definitely do that. Yeah. Perfect. Are you a data-driven business looking for resilient infrastructure, connectivity, and the power to compute sustainably? KO Data develops and operates high-performance, energy-efficient data centers for advanced computing. Our scalable, state-of-the-art facilities support the mission-critical workloads of life sciences, biotech, and AI startups across the Cambridge Tech Cluster. To find out how we can help host your compute, get in touch at kodata.com slash contact. KO Data, proud to sponsor the Cambridge Tech Podcast. So then we're on Thursday, we're getting through the week here and it started with 
breakfast for you, didn't it, at the Cambridge Union debating chamber? Yeah, yeah. So, so I actually kicked off day. What was it day four? Yeah, because there was activities on Monday, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So day four. Yeah, so we, um, we as the Bradfield Centre, we um, sponsored a piece of work by uh, Bohurst on putting together like an infographic containing the data of, you know, the impact of Cambridge Tech, the hot sectors, the numbers of companies, the amounts of money raised, all of those kinds of data points, which I think is helpful to, you know, to help shine a spotlight on the tech side of the city because uh, obviously the life sciences gets a lot of attention in Cambridge and that was followed by a panel discussion which was really really interesting I think it went well and we recorded it as well so at some point we will bring that to you on the podcast does that mean we get a day off hopefully yeah that'd be nice so so you did breakfast I then did a lunch you can see where this is going, right? So the lunch Let was... Let just be clear, I didn't eat any breakfast. <laughs> Did you not? I was just talking through the whole thing. Oh, you see, I, yeah. Okay, maybe maybe you got that one wrong. So I went to a lunch that was organised with um, ERM, KO Data and Cambridge Clean Tech. And it was all about um, sustainability for data intensive companies and you know what was really interesting about it was very first of all you know we were talking about emissions and people had a really good understanding of scope one scope two emissions but when it came to emissions that you you have with other people the scope three emissions it kind of started to become people weren't as ready as we thought they were going to be um, so it was it was super interesting because you know sustainability ESG is on everyone's list um, but I think there's a lot of education that's needed there as well but Emma Fryer from ERM she um, was the host of the the roundtable lunch and she talked about sustainability readiness and the impact of tech and how how it's a really exciting time for technology. So I think what really came out to me is that clearly sustainability is absolutely front and centre in these discussions between data centre providers and the data dependent or, or data derived businesses uh, that are using them to um, operate uh, and process their data. However, it's not clear how binary that decision-making process is relating to sustainability. So, for instance, we heard that sustainability has maybe a 20% weighting in these discussions, but we don't know whether it is actually the deciding factor because resilience is still king in these environments. Um, also, um, we had some discussions around scope three, and what was clear was that um, both suppliers and customers are concerned about scope three. They know that it's, it's material within their emissions, um, but they're not yet ready to have an informed conversation. There's too many data gaps. They're too worried about that. They're not quite sure how to go about it. So there's a lot of uncertainty about that. Uh, and at the moment, I think we're seeing that those conversations have yet to mature. So we're at a really exciting point at the moment um, when we're seeing huge advances in the capability of AI-assisted um, and uh, data-dependent technologies to address very long-standing problems in areas, for instance, bioinformatics um, and medicine. And in fact, what we've got to do is, is manage the explosion in that activity and ensure that there isn't an accompanying explosion in the energy consumed by that. So that sounds like another episode we need to do. Indeed. I mean, that was a theme, actually. I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe just because we've been doing this now for what, over six months, every time I went into a session, I'm thinking, oh, my God, we've got to get them on the podcast. Or people were coming up and going, oh, we love the podcast. Can we come on kind of thing? Yeah. So that was That's really great. nice. Let's, yeah. let, let's keep that roster full. So what about dinner? Anyone doing breakfast, lunch? Anyone do dinner? I went home. 
I went home too. It's pretty tired at that point. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Well, someone, whoever did go out for dinner, do let us know where you went and how it was, and we'll just retrofit it into the into the podcast. So that brings us to Friday, which had the international conference at the Bradfield Centre. Harriet Fear organised that. And it went really well, I believe. Got really good feedback. And I think that there's a company that's already decided to come and land in Cambridge as a result of it. But that's I don't have that officially yet, so I might get slap wrists for saying that. But we did manage to catch up. If you remember on a previous episode, we talked to Guillermo from CBA and he was bringing a delegation over, which I think was, you know, a substantial part of that that group on Friday. And we managed to talk to a couple of those people about what their views were and what they, they'd found from Cambridge. So first of all, we talked to Marcus about internationalisation and how he's now connecting with Cambridge. And this is what he had to say. My name is Marcus Schreier the CEO and managing partner of the Ganesha Lab. We are the first and leading biotech accelerator fund in Latin America. And our focus has always been internationalization, preparing startups from Latin America, scientific founders to be ready for competition in the global world, but also and specifically making an impact in the global world with biotech. And there, we have been focusing a lot on the United States, but we are now expanding our reach, and that's why I'm in Cambridge. I want to connect with the Cambridge accelerators and investors to bring the opportunity to our startups and to Cambridge to bring great technologies, great innovations towards Cambridge for, and for the startups to develop, further develop their technologies with the ecosystem of Cambridge to have global impact. I uh, specifically reached out to Prashant who seems to be a strong connector, international connector. And I met with Jason, and we have already follow-on actions uh, defined. We are reviewing our portfolio for potential startups, which are great to come to Cambridge. Yeah, that was a great shout-out for Prashant Shah of O2H Group and Start Code On with Jason Mellad as well. And then Enrique talked about how they're learning from our innovative startup culture and how he's investigating different areas of collaboration. Uh, my name is Enrique Malia. I'm coming from, from Argentina. I'm coming with a group of CBA, which are about 20 Latins that came to, to the Tetch Week and to Cambridge. We are interested in uh, looking at all the evolution in the technology, as we've seen in these days here, uh, the trends and also the startups, how are they being evolved and, and funded. We have many good technology-based startups, particularly ag food tech, biotech as well. And to be here is an inspiration of how next steps we need to, to make and, uh, and, and look at the evolution. Also, we, we believe we can do things together. We can relate, we can co-invest, we can synergize. There's a lot of here of research in technology that we can tap into. So it was extremely interesting this this past two days. So overall, I mean, I think, you know, considering we were hopping in and out of different sessions and, and different fringe events and activities, I think that's a pretty 
complete showcase of of what was going on there, wasn't it? Well, in some ways, but in other ways, we only just scratched the surface. I mean, there was so much content. When you think it was a first time event, you know, there was a a real influx of fringe events. You know, there's so much happening across the city. So, for example, that night that we recorded the podcast, there were two other really good events. Yeah. Uh, Mills and Reeve, I think, had a reception. And there was the launch of the Enterprise Network uh, with Caroline Hyde. So, you and, know, and there was another international event. Right. Yeah. So, well. you know, it was a first-time event. It just really vibrant. So, you know, hats off to the team at CW for organising and pulling everything together. I did say to Rachel on the Thursday at Cambridge Union that actually it should be Cambridge Tech Month because then you'd avoid some of those conflicts and, you know, you could you could then spread yourself out without feeling that you're taking whole days out. And I'm not entirely sure she was best pleased with that suggestion. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's a good point because, I mean, as a first-time event, it's only going to get busier, right? Yeah. You know, now that people have proven it works, there's going to be more people taking the leap with their own events next year. So it's it's going to get more congested rather than less congested. So maybe there's some uh, there's some wisdom in your words there. Yeah. Oh, crikey. I feel, there you go. I feel all impressed with feels yourself like, now. It feels like you might be volunteering to get a little bit anyway. Uh, no. <laughs> I think we're very busy with this already. But, you know, talking about it, actually, like the session that we did with the Chamber of Commerce, I would like to see more how do we help people make the most of technology? Because there's a lot of our companies that are behind. I'm not talking specifically about the tech companies that are generating the the groundbreaking solutions that we need, but every other business that's maybe not using tech quite so well. And also going back to the ERM thing, you know, sustainability, I think really needs to come a lot further forward. And may, maybe the the conversation we just had on Gen Z as well, on skills and and making sure there's a more diverse audience in there. I think that's right. I mean, now, now that they've got year one out of the way, I think, uh, you know, it's only upwards uh, from here. Uh, and as you say, thinking about, you know, rather than bringing together folks that work within tech, how do you open that world up to people that don't work in tech? You know, to your point about organizations that are struggling to think about how tech is going to, you know, impact them moving forward. Young people that are trying to break into an industry and don't know how to, haven't had the access to the education necessarily that they might need in training. You know, that goes back to the conversation we had on our live recording. And as you say, like better generational representation on some of the panels so we can hear directly from, the, you know, those those people. Yeah, no, it's good. Hats off to, to everyone that was yeah. involved. You know, I think it really was. It was a showcase of Cambridge ecosystem huh. getting together and making it happen. So so I think, you know, that's that's a really good thing. And, you know, they do it next year or the year after. Who knows? Well, I'm sure we'll find out at some point. But for anyone who's desperate to do something sooner, we've actually got Cambridge Wide Open Day on June the 14th coming up as well. So that's only that's only a few few weeks away. And that's trying to tackle some of the things that you've just talked about as well. So we will be on the we'll be on the tour bus going around telling you're, you. Yeah, you're <laughs> driving around in a car, right? Well, With I didn't. So I was, go, I was going and, on the uh, tour bus, to be honest, because I'm like, I, I think that that's quite fun to go on the road, literally. You cello? I sold my cello. That's like, oh. you're going off on a tangent now. That's the tour buses. I thought you were like, you know, yeah. this is some like yeah, I think Prashant... spinal tap kind of thing. Going no, on. no, 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 okay. no, no. Prashant's got other plans for me, I think. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, there'll be a future episode there without the cello. So, Maybe the ukulele. So. 
You can play the ukulele as well. Well, I'm trying. Only when you're cleaning windows, though. (laughs) Thank you very much. So bad. Yes, you're almost rapid. <laughs> Are we cutting this or keeping it? Keeping that. That's, that's gold. <laughs> Thanks for that. That was lovely. Enjoyed that one. Um, Shall we um, find out what else has been happening now in the news? Cambridge Superchip Architect Arm has stepped up its search for the world's very best engineers by opening new offices in the Norwegian capital of Oslo as well as Bristol in the UK. A massive recruitment drive has been launched in both territories as Arm pushes to a Wall Street IPO. Tenzo, an AI-powered restaurant performance ops platform, has raised a $5 million Series A round led by Amadeus Capital Partners in Cambridge and S28 Capital. Founded by two Cambridge computer scientists, one turned restaurateur, Tenzo is on a mission to use AI to help restaurants focus on improving their performance to optimise efficiency and increase revenue. Now used by more than 1,500 restaurants worldwide, such as Nando's, TGI Fridays and the Vapiano brands, Tenzo ingests massive amounts of data in real time using a proprietary engine, then leverages deep learning to make intelligent operational recommendations. Cambridge-based Luminance, marketed as the world's most advanced AI for legal process automation, has launched the latest cutting-edge application of its specialist legal large language model, the AI-powered Ask Lumi chatbot. Ask Lumi allows users to open any contract in Microsoft Word, ask the AI questions about their contract and receive instant responses. Cambridge and California company RKVST has launched new technology that promises to end the menace of potentially dangerous chatbots and other forms of AI. The launch of RKVST InstaProof enables instant verification of the authenticity of any file. It comes less than a fortnight after Jeffrey Hinton, often called the godfather of AI, quit Google, warning that in the near future, AI would flood the internet with false photos, videos and texts, and the average person would not be able to know what is true anymore. RKVST says that with InstaProof, users can check images, invoices, even AI models with a simple drag and drop to discover their provenance record and verify their authenticity. Norfolk-based provider of instructor-led coding boot camps, Tech Educators, has established a new campus at the Bradfield Centre in Cambridge to help eligible students from Cambridge and Peterborough learn essential technology skills to become software developers. Aimed at individuals from all backgrounds, the full-time 12-week programme officially launches on June the 5th. Up to 30 funded spaces will be provided for eligible learners through the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority, with the Bradfield Centre sponsoring a further two spaces a year through its newly announced scholarship programme. Cambridge Clean Tech has won the bid to host the first UK immersion programme for Desafia, a Spanish government initiative to help startups in Spain accelerate growth and expand overseas. The new programme, Desafia London, combines the strengths of Cambridge Clean Tech with the University of Cambridge's Institute for Sustainability Leadership and Oxfordshire Green Tech. And finally, it's congratulations to Dr. Sabasand Sithamparanatham, founder and CEO of Pervase ID, who has been named in Business Elite's 40 Under 40. And that's this week's news, courtesy of Business Weekly. 
Join us next week when we talk to Amelia Armour from Amadeus Capital. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show.